Let's go, key check testing one two. Good morning. We're Good recording. Morning. We are recording. We're recording. Well, you sound different recording. You think so? No, I'm just playing. Oh, okay. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm great. I know that because I ran with you this morning. Thank you for that. I, you know, I was away and I needed that. Yeah, I know. It's been I one know of those. What that's like. It's been it's been one of those months where you know you hurt yourself. And then you're like dealing with a lot of stuff like reality and age and reality. Age. Well, we're getting older, man. No, I know. I've watched you. You're getting older. That's I've what happens. It. That's what happens. I've had stark reminders of it because I lost my hair. You still have your hair, so you get to live in delusion. Okay, that might be a whole other podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we might just scratch might the surface on scratch that. Scratch the surface of something ugly. <laughs> I didn't mean to bring that What's up. What's the ugly truth? You know, my brother lost his hair at 14. When did you lose yours? I lost mine. Um, I started to lose it in my twenties, and uh, it was it was pretty much gone by my early thirties. You know, I mean, I still have the fringe, but I just decided to go full bald because that's what you know, men do now. Yeah, exactly. It's what men do. It's Michael Jordan. It's choice. Well, and I shouldn't. Some women do that too. I, you know, mm-hmm. it's I, I, I think a, a a chick that cuts or shaves her head. I think that actually looks kind of cool. I don't um, think you want to say that in your business. No, but <laughs> this is my business, the podcasting. Oh, oh, sorry. <laughs> but the sorry, um, I didn't realize we had an illusion going. Right. It, well, this is this is my business right now. Okay. Yeah. Podcasting. No, I see. You. Present but moment. I feel you. We've been watching The Voice, and there's a, a a girl on there who has a mohawk. I struggle enjoying the mohawk. I don't know why. I just right away I get a little turned off by the mohawk, I'm even on a man. I'm with you. But you know, there it is. Hey. To but each my, her own. My brother, yeah, to each his own. Her, e, his, all, their own, own, there. Um, but my brother lost his, he started losing his hair at like 13. Mm. And he, to this day, blames his whole life and where he's at today because he lost his hair. He thinks if he had not lost his hair, his life would turn out much better. He's right. He's right. <laughs> well, yeah. I thought you were just speaking in general, but you're for, ta- he, for my right. brother, yes. He is right. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it, it's true. So thank Sorry, you, Dad. first of all, for coming on my podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's kind of like a Making Mar- it happen. It's kind of like a Mary Kay salesman. You know, you first hit up all your friends and family. Yeah. And then they stop taking your calls. <laughs> Luckily, we run together. <laughs> then they warn everybody else. Yeah. But, don't do the podcast. No, I'm kidding. But, you know, I've all, and we've known each other, I don't know, 20-something years. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always, and I've told you this before, I'm always amazed that me and you are friends because... Where I was at in my life, I didn't have friends like you. And when I say like you, I mean like educated, you know, smart, you know, plays a role in in this in the community. Um, just a good guy. Oh, I didn't thanks. hang out with good guys like you. So when I first got sober, yeah, um, you were one of the first people I met, and and it was a great transition for me going from a scumbag to trying to pull some sort of life together. And, you know, I always, I always credit you for kind of giving me that guidance. Oh, thanks, man. Always somebody I, mean, I can the, look up to. The same is true for me, but in a sort of different way in that, like, you're so much like a bunch of guys I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And when you go down that educational path, you know, of grad school and stuff like that, you lose contact. They with fall pe- off. <laughs> with, well, no, but you lose contact with people who are, you know, not in that kind of rarefied environment. They're real. You know, and they're dealing with with uh, real life, and and I sort of appreciate that that we didn't we get to talk about you know 
whatever, and it doesn't have to be, nobody's trying to prove things to each other. Because right. the world that I live in, people are always trying to prove things to each other, you know? Real quick, who are you? Who am I? Yeah. I am James Keegan. I am, uh, you, you want more than that? Um, I'm a married man. Uh, I'm a grandfather. I List am, the important things first. I am, uh, uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, I am um, an English professor at the University of Delaware, uh, so I'm a doctor, I'm a PhD, and the doctor. I, the doctor, and I'm also a professional actor, mostly stage, mostly classical, like Shakespeare and stuff like that. Once again, I never hung out with people like you. There we go. <laughs> so, you know, um, and you know, I think one of the coolest things about our relationship, it's based on and I'm just gonna, we're both yeah, sober. Yeah, we're, we're both, both sober. We're both sober. I almost said that as part of my introduction. Um, 30 years on Saturday. Congratulations. Thank you. That's a huge. Yeah, it's coming Saturday, so let's not push it. We'll right. To get there first. God, God willing, and the, yeah. the creek don't rise. Yeah. Um, but our relationship is based on a lot of running. We, you know, we're obviously, we're sober together. We, we've been sober together for a long time, but. We do a lot of our talking and chatting while we run, kind yeah. of at our lowest point. And I don't mean like low, but I mean like, you know, ugh. we put everything aside and we're just trying to get through it. Right. And that's where, you know, some of the most, because we've like almost gotten in fights out on the, on mm-hmm. the trail. We've had to hug. We probably even had tears. I mean, it's at that point where self is out of the way. It's the struggle. And it really allows us to kind of have a great communication, a great relationship that way. Yeah, a lot of the BS slips away because you're in the moment already because you're having to figure out how am I going to get this next breath? Right. How am I going to take this next step and keep going? How am I going to keep up with Tom or, you know? Or how um, am I going to keep up with you? Yeah. Because we've had our moments. Yeah, we've had our moments. And this morning you had a little more struggle than I, and past mm-hmm. I've had a little more struggle. You had a knee thing this morning and, you know, it just goes back and forth. Um, and uh, and that's great. That's a great aspect of it because some some mornings uh, you tug me along, and yep. some mornings I you know I draw you along, and we finish together. And, Absolutely. Um, but we also um, I also like that rawness that you're talking about. Like that you know uh, um, topics come up, real topics, emotions come up, and uh, and we we share a lot of um, history too. So we've got friends and friends we've lost mm-hmm. who are we have, we share some ghosts. Yeah. And and. Uh, and those ghosts are important to us, and, yep. and we get to uh, we get to resurrect them and and uh, remember all that they gave to us. I mean, there's it's a that run that we have is is like uh, you know it's five miles of gratitude most of the time. <laughs> you and I know that, you know. Well, and we used to do it a lot more. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. Well, we get our once a weekend. Pretty, well, we made a, we now. made a commit to a commitment to one another that we would at least run. On Wednesdays, when regardless. I'm, when I'm home. And when I'm you're doing home. Doing some acting job. Right. right. I mean, Somewhere. if you're home yeah. or I'm home, we try to do it. Like, because yeah. I mean, at 530 in the morning when it's freezing cold in February, I'm not looking for running, but I yeah. know that you're going to be showing up. Yeah. So, you know, we get it done. Well, and that's the irony of it, too, because I, you know, I, I, I'm the same. Like, if I were doing it myself, I would roll over and, and say, no, I'll do it later in the day or something like that, or it's too cold, you know. But I, once I've made the commitment that we're going to do it together, I look forward to that, and I got gear I can wrap myself up in, and, you know, we can spend the first half mile bitching about how cold it is. Well, the worst part is <laughs> the 30 on. minutes before in my house before right. the run. Right, exactly. Because as soon as I see you, 
and we hit, we go outside, and whether it's free, we both we 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 don't run in the wind. No, no we don't. We try not to. Tom doesn't like the wind. I, I don't like the wind. I, I don't but, really care as much about the wind if I have my balaclava to cover my face. But well, it's but like you my hate, one out. You hate the wind. I That's hate your the thing, wind, and I respect that. And luckily, I respect you know, that. we're we're blessed that we have the opportunity. You know, we run all sorts of places, but when we run, usually on Wednesdays, it's from my house. We run down to the Breakwater Junction Trail, mm-hmm. and there's an option. Cover. Yeah, so from my house to the trail. To the outlets, down Route 1, back to my house is exactly five miles. Yeah. If it's a nice day like today, we ran the full loop. But on days that it's windy, because usually it's the wind that's like blowing straight down Route 1. Yeah. And that's usually the worst part. And we're lucky that we can actually go. And if, if it's the conditions are like that, we can turn around at two and a half miles and kind of run back through the woods and be protected. And that's the worst part, that the wind is blowing down Route 1. Right. It's going north to south in the winter. And so you're running right into the face of it. If it yeah. were behind us, we wouldn't mind. because We wouldn't mind. <laughs> it'd improve our time. And, you know, honestly, really, when, when and we have done the loop in the wind. And yeah. You know, usually by two and a half miles, because that's usually where the decision's made if you're going to face the wind or not. Right. You, it's about two and a half miles. And by then you're warmed up, and it, it's like, yeah. it's fine. Yeah. We're lucky. I, I'm, we are I'm, fortunate. We are fortunate. So the, um, you know, I, I guess it's probably been like three years ago. We used to run um, over at Gordon's Pond, but I was doing another vlog. Is it that long? Yeah. Yeah? Wow. Well, Christine and I have been together two years. Yeah. So that's true. I know, life's flying by. It does fly by, yeah. But two or three years ago, we were doing, uh, we were running Gordon's Pond, and I would do the vlog, and and I would have you recite Shakespeare. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I can't remember my phone number. But this guy's remembering, he's pulling Shakespeare lines out of, of, from, I don't know where you do it, but... And then one day I'm like, he actually could be saying something not even correct, and I would never even know. <laughs> but I love you, it. You questioning my integrity? Never. No, I wouldn't do it. No, I wouldn't do it. I leave that for your smart friends. Every now and then, though, um, when I've, I've I've done that myself, I've posted like uh, you know I recite a poem at the at the point in the run or a uh, or part of a speech. And every now and then, when I post it, I, I do make some error in it, and somebody I went to grad school with calls me on it. You know, yeah. they're like actually the line is this, and I'm like, mm, yeah, okay, fine. But I got the rest of it right. right. You know what I mean? Do you, what do you, what, so you said you're a professional actor. What is your favorite genre? What is your favorite, like, if you could just do that? What, well, that's what, a great question. I, you know, I, for 12 years, I was, uh, you know, kind of all Shakespeare all the time because I got, and I, and I love Shakespeare, and, and I did some of my graduate work in Shakespeare and performance, and it was sort of after graduate school that I realized, um, and I got sober right around that same time, you know. I realized uh, that I um, well, I started acting again on an amateur basis in community theater, and then I, I sort of realized that I had always wanted to do this professionally, and with a little sobriety under my belt and some of the uh, the principles mm-hmm. that I had learned in, in in making an effort to have integrity in my life, mm. you know, I got to ask myself, um, you know, what is it that you would really like to do? Who do you want to be? And one of the things I found out was that. Uh, one dream I had deferred was to try professional acting, you know. And so in my 30s, I said, well, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I'm not giving up my teaching job because I have a mortgage and I want to stay stable, you know. And acting is not the most stable of incomes. 
So I, I just <clears throat> made a commitment to it. And, and then I got a job at this Shakespeare theater and it just worked out that they liked me and I liked working there and it was five hours away and I had to move my teaching schedule over and you know how nuts it was, but it oh, was, yeah. but it was great too, because I, I started late and we were doing five plays in, in rotating rep in each season. So, you know, I've done 80 Shakespeare plays in a dozen years. And so my resume kind of caught up to anybody my age who <laughs> had been acting for longer than I had. I have as many plays under my belt as they might have. And I love Shakespeare for the poetry uh, and for the depth of the emotion and for how much insight he had into human affairs and, and the human spirit. But I'm at a stage now that I've, I, I was fortunate and I got to do a lot of the major roles of Shakespeare that fit my age category. Wasn't it what, King Lear? Is that the king? Yeah, I've played King Lear a couple of times and I've played Macbeth and I've played uh, the villain Iago from Othello. And, uh, you know, I've gotten to do a bunch of roles, Falstaff, the, the great drunken reprobate knight from the history plays. So I, I feel now like I'd like to do something other than Shakespeare for a while. And the play that I have coming up in Florida that I'm um, starting rehearsal for in May, and it, it's, um, it's on in May and June down there in St. Petersburg, is uh, by a great American playwright, Eugene O'Neill. It's one of the great American plays. It's an autobiographical play about his, his own troubled family, troubled by addiction, interestingly enough. Oh, wow. And uh, and uh, so I get to play the father in that family, and it's called Long Day's Journey and Tonight, and I play this actor, <laughs> you know, a, a Shakespearean actor who went away from performing Shakespeare because he got this, this role that allowed him to make a lot of money, but he sort of enslaved himself to it because of the money. So you're playing an actor yeah. who plays a Shakespeare I'm actor. playing. A, I'm playing an actor who uh, started out as a Shakespeare actor and then went away from it and regrets it. <laughs> so, well, could you play a more perfect part? It's a pretty terrific <laughs> Not part Not that you have, have any regrets. Well, but. and also he's a drunk, you know, and his two sons are drunks. And his wife is a morphine addict, and a part of it is his fault, you know. And so it's the the it's it's the play takes place in their summer home in Connecticut, and it's just one day from morning through to the nighttime. The mother's home; they all think she's in recovery from this morphine addiction yet again, and then signs start to show that she is. She's moving back into her addiction. And just all of the recriminations, all of the angers, all of the accusations, and all of the love that the family have for one another comes out in the course of the play. That's interesting, because I guess in the play you would have to have, like, advice for the mother, or would it be your wife? Yeah, so, that's uh, right. So you're having to remember lines of advice for a woman that's in addiction. Do you ever feel like going... Oh, wait a minute. But this is what you should have said. Th these words might have helped. <laughs> Do I second guess Eugene O'Neill? No, I mean, it's his, his family experience. And, you know, he um, when he wrote the play, he was already a famous playwright by the time he wrote the play. And he had, uh, he had um, you know, won huge prizes, including the Nobel Prize for Literature. And uh, he when he wrote the play, it was so personal, so intensely personal, that he had decided... It could be published 25 years after his death, but it, he never wanted it produced on stage. And uh, then when he died, his his widow made different decisions about it. And she she claimed that he had made oh. different choices about it, but so was she there was really, a lot of controversy about it. Was you know? she in real life a morphine addict? 
Oh no, that's not his wife. He's one of the sons in the in the play. Okay, he's the younger son in the play. So the play is about his himself, his brother, his father, and his mother. So okay. he was a playwright, but his father was an actor, um, James O'Neill. So James O'Neill, um, the real life James O'Neill, appears in the play as James Tyrone. It's called the Tyrone family in the play. And so he didn't. He and she made the choice to to go ahead and do it for money. I'm assuming. Um, he made the choice to, uh, yeah, well, she, I, well, I don't know. I mean, her motivation, um, it, it's, it's been a, um, a matter of contention among scholars mm-hmm. of, of the theater as to what has motivated her, but certainly it has been a lucrative decision, you yeah. know, to, uh, to publish the, uh, the play. And, and most of the people who could have been hurt by it were already dead. His brother had died of alcoholism. His father was dead by that time. His mother was dead by that so time. So it was so, more of about protecting people. Well, that was the implication when he said he didn't want it published till 25 years after. One, one assumes that, you know, after his death, one assumes that what he was hoping was that, you know, that would be enough time so that nobody who could be hurt by the, um, by the truths that he was revealing in the play. And remember, this was, you know, this was the mid-20th century, right? right. Or, you know, not even. So uh, people kept things undercover, under wraps more than, than we do now. You know, now you... you if, if there's anybody out there who doesn't know, like, several people who are uh, have addiction problems or in recovery, I'd be surprised, you know. Right. Um, we, You and I just now on, on the podcast admitted that we're both in, in recovery and, you know, that we're both sober. And we don't have as, the same stigma on that that there was at that time, same same judgmental um, Hold on kind of quality. So there it is. I apologize. No worries. A little edit in the middle of that podcast there. Oh, I love a good edit in the middle. So where were we um, before we were so rudely interrupted by I don't know. You are running the podcast. Uh, <laughs> I think we were, we talking, were talking about um, the play, I think. Well, one thing I wanted to – I was going to cut in, and that's, that's the one thing I'm trying to learn how to not make these podcasts about me and allowing people to talk. But I did want to butt in and say that, unfortunately, I have never got to see one of your plays doing the Shakespeare. I've been to yeah. – a play a long time ago when you did the play down in Georgetown with Donna. Yeah. And that must have been, I don't, uh, 20 years ago. Yeah, at least. Maybe 15. And then I saw the play no, that you 20. did down in Rehoboth. Well, yeah, maybe 20. <laughs> yeah. But um, what was that, Home? Oh, Fun Home. Fun Home. Yeah, which was strange. That was a musical, and I don't, I haven't done a musical in a long, long time. It was, it was Dude, very... I was so proud of you. Oh, thanks. Well, I, I it was start- very anxiety-producing because uh, I'm not used to doing them. So it was great to step out of my comfort zone, but it was also a little nerve-wracking, especially at the beginning. You did amazing, and you, it made me cry. It's a beautiful show. It was beautiful. It's it a was, beautiful show. The show made me cry. Just how you, um, because you know, and if you played a gay funeral director. Yeah, a closeted gay. A closeted gay funeral director, yeah. and I, you know. I, you're not gay, so I. But right. to see that role, to play that role, which you did, you know, quite well. And I'm not saying Thanks. that like, hey, you need to tell me something. But yeah. you know, you did a great, <laughs> you did a great job. And then it was just, it was a, it was a touching topic. It was a very painful topic. Yeah, it's from a graphic novel, actually. The the woman who is the heart of the play is a is a cartoonist, a lesbian cartoonist, and she. Um, she wrote this graphic novel about her relationship with her father and the fact it's about her coming out, as you know, from seeing the play right. and his inability to, and their inability to sort of connect as father and daughter as a result of that. And yet they did have connections too. And there was love there, but there was always this block 
And the, the music is terrific. The songs are Telephone marvelous. Wire. Oh, that Telephone Wire song oh between God. her and the father start, in the car. I, that's is, when I started crying. It was so beautiful. It's such a moving scene. Telephone that opportunity wire. for communication that never gets realized. And, you know, the play that I'm doing now is sort of like that, too, because... There's a scene, you know, near the end of the play. Uh, all the characters have interactions over the four acts of the play, and and uh, so there's there's one scene where this the father who I play is is sitting up late at night, and his wife's wandering around the house because she's she's already uh, back on the morphine, and he hears her wandering around upstairs, but he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be involved with her because you know, she's lost in the past when she's on the drug, you know. And so he's downstairs drinking whiskey, and uh, yeah, in the present exactly in the present. And uh, and, his, the and his son comes in, stumbles in drunk. His son is partially drunk. So they sit down, they drink together, but they also talk. And the father sort of rehearses some of his past and talks about why he is the way he is. And there's a lot of honesty that gets conveyed between them. And uh, you want to hear some of the speech? Sure. Yeah, I love it. He says, uh, "I never admitted this to anyone before, lad, but tonight I'm so." Heart sick, I feel at the end of everything. And what's the use of fake pride and pretense? That goddamn play I bought for a song and made such a great success in, a great money success. It ruined me with its promise of an easy fortune. I didn't want to do anything else. And by the time I woke up to the fact I'd become a slave to the damn thing and did try other plays, it was too late. They didn't want to see me in anything else. And they were right, too. I had lost the great talent I once had through years of easy repetition, never learning a new part, never really working hard. Thirty-five and forty thousand dollars net profit a season, like snapping your fingers. It was too great a temptation. Yet before I bought the damn thing, I was considered one of the three or four young actors in America with the greatest artistic promise. <laughs> oh, I worked like hell. I left a good job as a machinist to take supers parts because I loved the theater. I was wild with ambition. I read all the plays ever written. I studied Shakespeare as you'd study the Bible. I educated myself. I got rid of an Irish brogue you could cut with a knife. <laughs> oh, I loved Shakespeare. I would have acted in any of his plays for nothing, for the, the joy of being alive in his great poetry. And I acted well in him. I felt inspired by him. I could have been a great Shakespearean actor if I'd kept on. I know that. And then he goes on to tell a story about when he worked with this great Shakespearean actor when he was a younger man. But that's a part of the speech. That was amazing. Thanks. And isn't that, uh, I'm memorizing the lines now, so that one, that's one I've memorized already. But, and that, but isn't, that, I mean, isn't that a little bit of truth to that? That whole... Oh, I mean, anytime I think you play a role, you're always looking for, or at least I am as an actor, I'm always looking for what parts of myself are in here. You know, and like in, in Fun Home, um, Bruce, the, the character that I played... He, um, Bruce Bechtel, he, he uh, was a very artistic guy. You know, he always had little projects going and things that he wanted. He wanted to have a sense of, of the aesthetic in his life, you know. And, and I think I really identified with that, you know. And then he also, um, he wanted to, uh, you know, he loved his kids, but he also so, sort of wanted to live through his kids a little bit. And he wanted them to do things the way he wanted them to. And, you know, I think I, I, I can identify with that as a parent, too, you know? But he, I, so I think you're always looking for little ways in which there are connections. Well, and I, you know, I always say that it's like, and you know me, I mean, I mean, how many 
freaking things have I gotten involved in over the last few years where, but I mean, those are the like. That's one of the things I admire about you, though. You, you see something that you like and you're like, oh, flying a drone and taking pictures with the drone. I'd really like to do that. So you go out and do it. Well, but it keeps you know? me, it kind of keeps my life going, you know. It's Absolutely. like, and I kind of live, I, you know, I sometimes daydream or fantasize or I'm not sure what the word, but, you know, I, I don't particularly live in the moment when I'm involved in a project I tend to look into the future and sometimes I make the future out to be a little better but that little fantasy kind of keeps me moving well how do you yeah exactly it's a goal how do you move toward the future if you don't have some picture of you know some target that's idealized of course it's idealized because we all know that life is a series of plan b you know well but you also Um, have to balance that fantasy with reality and also you know and i've done it a few times where i go you know i know that i'm not going to be you know the number one podcaster in the entire world when i start my podcast in the beginning i kind of fantasized that i could be but i the reality is i know i'm not but it doesn't stop me and it allows me to keep going and and when it doesn't happen it, it allows me to not be disappointed well, I heard Denzel Washington interviewed once, and he was asked, you know, when he was a young man starting out in his, his performance career, you know, what was his goal? And he said that his goal was to become the greatest actor ever. Ever. Yeah, no, the greatest actor in the world. And I, I suspect that he's not the only person to have articulated that goal. He just happens to have come as close as you can yeah. come to achieving it, you know? And so, uh, so, but I, I think, you know, we have to have those. I mean, th- th- there's probably, you know, some person out there who's selling insurance who also had that goal at one time to be the greatest actor in the right. world, Absolutely. you know, but, but, uh, part of it's luck. And we know that, that part of it's luck. Well, and know? I think that, you know, even in getting back to even the running that we do, I've always said, you know, running makes me a poet, running makes me a, a musician, running makes me a lyricist, you know, because when I'm out there in that, when self has been gotten rid of and it's just me and my feet, all of a sudden I start feeling, and I, and I've, you know, I've said, you know, we run to that bridge, the bridge that we run to. I said that I could wake up on that bridge and look over the rail and be like, wow, that's beautiful. But when I run to that bridge, it's not only beautiful, but I actually feel like I can do anything I want. Right. And that's kind of what happens when in running, you know, I'm like, you know, I'm singing, I'm writing songs, I'm becoming a poet. And then when I get home and take a shower, I'm back to Tom. Yeah. But, you know, those little fun fantasies, you know, that's, that's what keeps me going because you know and that's the message i try to pass on to, to, to my kids is like hey what do you want to do because you can do anything you want yeah as long as it doesn't require a whole bunch of money right and as long me. as you're willing to work toward it you know right. and as long as you're willing to put in the time i think the um you know that's the the commitment that i made when i decided you know i'm gonna try to be a professional actor i'm gonna i said i'm gonna do what it takes and i'm not gonna complain about what it takes because that seemed to me like a negative feedback loop that's going to be damaging. So when I had to teach, you know, a bunch of classes in a one day or a day and a half and then drive back five hours and then act in, in plays for, you know, from Tuesday to Sunday and then leave Sunday at five and drive five hours home at 10 and teach at eight the next morning. That was a tough one. Yeah, but I wasn't allowed to. I, I mean, I had already removed the, the you get to complain about this. My, my perspective on it was that I get to do two great jobs. I get to have a mortgage. You know, I mean, are there sacrifices? Yes. But if I start focusing on all the sacrifices, then I start feeling sorry for myself. And if I'm feeling sorry for myself, I'm on the wrong road. That's right. And I think I probably complained more about that schedule than you did. Yeah. Well, you know, it was funny. A lot of people would ask me, you didn't ask me this that often, but, um, but, um, Ann and I, my wife used to, we, we've uh, talked about this. People would say it to her more than they would say it to me. They'd say, 
and they'd say it this way, why are you letting him do that? Right. Yeah, which is like, that's not how our relationship works, for one. And, and she was always very supportive of it because she realized it was me. It was something I needed to explore and, and find. Now, you know, certainly there have been times of stress in that mm-hmm. because I'm away from home a lot, you know, and, and uh, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of different stressors that can come into play. And we happen to work together as teachers, you know, so we do have that kind of point of contact. We're very fortunate in that respect. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, I, I think that that dreaming part is important. You know, recently I, I heard a guy on a podcast um, say this great thing. Uh, it's sort of connected to this. He said, um, what you have to do is, uh, and it's from the poet Rumi, sell your cleverness for bewilderment. And that, that, that whole idea of like, get everything you know out of your way and be willing to be like a kid again, to not know anything about something and sort of go into it bewildered and say, so you're able to say to people, hey, uh, teach me what you know. Hey, teach me what you know. And it's one of my favorite things about the theater when it's going well. Like I love being on stage and performing, but what I really love is being in the rehearsal room with other creative people who are looking to make something with me. And that collaborative effort, you know, you don't know whoever's playing Mary Tyrone, Janice Stevens, the the actor who's going to play that role. I don't know what she's going to bring into the rehearsal room. I have my ideas about what James is going to say in a particular scene. But if she says a line in a way that I never expected, suddenly something in me, if I'm not open and receptive to that, I don't get to discover anything. Right. You almost you know? have to leave James here. Right. I have to make, I have to do all my work and then I have to let it go. <laughs> you know, I well, have to, I have to be present. Well, the, you know, the, when, when I started doing podcasting, um, one of the cool things I was able to experience is that I was able to do a podcast with my buddy Brownie and he, uh, a guy reached out to me and was like, I've known Brownie all my life. And I listened to one hour podcast with you on, with him and, and I learned so much about him. Can yeah. you teach me how to do podcasting? And this is a guy that's asking me to teach him something that I don't really know what I'm doing. Right. I'm just doing it. You know, I'm learning. Well, and that's the big part of it, though, It's just get in there and do it and stop worrying about how it's going to look, what people are going to say, all that stuff. Absolutely. You know? yeah. Be ready to fail a little. Absolutely. And, and be okay with it. I mean, we're 50. We're in our 50s. We're 50. I mean, 50. Geez. <laughs> yeah, geez. I yeah. mean, I've, I've failed at a few things. And I honestly, what people <laughs> think about it these days isn't... Well, that's one of the great freedoms of aging, I think, you know, is that there comes a point where you realize, hey, this is finite, you know, in your 20s and 30s, you don't really understand that, you know, it's going to end, you know, I mean, you know that cognitively, but you don't really understand it. As you get older, you start to really understand, especially as you start to lose friends, as we have, Mm. you know, and then you realize that mortality is a very real thing. And I only have, you know, so much time left. And if I'm going to start worrying about what everybody thinks about everything, I'll never do anything. Right. You know, I got to let all that go. I don't give a damn. Yeah, you know? that's the. I, I was. T- I was I'll paint this, this picture, and if it's a, it's a ugly looking picture. It's an ugly looking picture. Sorry, I cut you off. No, that's all right. I was going to say. I was talking to Sam last night, and I said, you know, because he he gets a little emotional about things and cries. You know, he's a little kid. I said, Sam, life's an experience or a series of experiences. You know, yeah. you experience it. And the next time you experience it, isn't as bad. You know, Matt used to always say, you know, if you if you if you're worried about something, share it with somebody and cut the it cuts it in half. And I have to say, I get emotional about things and weep about them. I took a walk with my wife yesterday, and or no, a couple of days ago. Uh, we did take one yesterday, but it was one in a couple of days ago where I was feeling just uncomfortable about a bunch of things in my life. And as we were talking about them, I started to cry about them. Mm-hmm. And I just needed to. I needed to get it out. So, I mean, I don't think it, it changes, you know, whether you're, you're a 7-year-old or a 57-year-old. 
we, you know, I'm an emotional being and I need to move through those things and I need to, to be, I need to, a safe place where I can do that. And, and that's one of the great blessings of, of my marriage and my wife is that she is that safe place that I can do that. And, and I have good friends that are, that are safe places for me too, for that. Well, and, and that was one of the questions that Sam had was, when will I stop being emotional? I said, never stop being emotional. No. Don't ever be ashamed that you are emotional or that some tears come out. Never be ashamed of that. Yeah. You know, never give that up because that is, you know, people that suppress that, Yeah, it's not a pleasant experience it sometimes. Has, it has, can have some very dire consequences. You're always, yeah. you know, always, I mean... But to a six-year-old, he's just thinking about, I'm crying in front of my six-year-old sure. friends. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the culture does that to you. The culture tells you this kind of behavior is not acceptable. And, you know, and you, you take that in. And uh, usually we get stung by it, you know, because our family allows us to do that. And then we go out in the world and somebody says, hey, you can't do that. And you're like, oh, my family are idiots. They didn't tell me. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, well, you know, I just got back from Mexico. We were... Yeah, I hate you a little for that. I know. I hate I'm glad myself. you came back. I hate myself a little I hated bit you while you were there when you were posting pictures. It was terrific. But, it looked you know, awesome. we talk about cultural and, you know, it's, um, you know, of course it's a resort and it's all inclusive. And so, you know, the people that, that work there, they take care of you. But the one thing that I brought back other than my tan was that I need to or should try to and am capable of doing a little bit better at some of the things that I do, like service, you know, I, I'm in the service industry and I did need a vacation. I was pretty wound up, but, you know, coming back and refreshed, you know, I want to try to do a little bit better job as far as taking care of clients, being a little more um, gracious, um, remembering how good that we have it and that I have it. Mm-hmm. And um, because people, you know, that are living in Mexico down there, they have nothing, yeah. you know, and and that's that's not my fault. It's no. not, it's not, I don't have to feel bad about it, but it is what it is. And, um, but an awareness of it is a good thing, you know, because it, it does make us realize just how blessed we are, just how much we do have. We have and, a lot. And to what a degree we take it for granted, you know, a lot of the time. Um, oh, I so I think that those, those are, are good things. You know, it's like, uh, we used to always talk about going into service industries and when somebody's nice to you, we're like, personability. Yeah. Remember, remember personability. Yeah, there personability. it is. Uh, yeah. Cause we I'll be back. Uh, yeah. I'll be back when I get some personability, but yeah. I'm the same in my profession too. You know, it's like I can get impatient with students when they're not doing the work they're supposed to do, but I don't know what's happening in their lives right. a lot of the time. And so my responsibility is to, I think, not just teach them, but to love them while I'm teaching them in completely appropriate ways right you know but um but i mean i have to sort of be aware that there's a lot happening there and and sometimes you know especially as an english teacher because people are writing sometimes about their lives you learn a lot about them yeah and And, uh and they're going through a lot some of these you know 18 and 20 year olds are going through quite a lot you know there's addiction in their lives there's mental illness in their lives they're first-time college students nobody in their family's gone to college before that's a lot to shoulder, you know, and some of them are working because they need to work, but their, their, their job is helping to support the family. It's, um, it's a lot to be aware of and to try to help those people get through their time with us in the college, you know, um, I've got to at least be open to the fact that I, I've got to be flexible, you know, well, I've got to be able to serve them, as you were saying. Well, and I think we're also, this is a weird time. I mean, when we were in Mexico, we watched... You know, it's an Instagram life, <clears throat> as weird as that is, but it's always, it seems to be now really about, and now, and I don't know if these folks were, you know, making money, I can, you know, I know, I know yeah. that if you're, if you're good at it, you can somehow generate some revenue through Instagram or social media, but 
Um, and that's probably what they were doing. But they would spend hours just taking photos of themselves and appearing, you know, like they were living this lifestyle. And they, and they, they were. I mean, they were at a beautiful resort. I think they right. were there just to do that. I think that what they're doing creates revenue that allows them to go to resorts just to take pictures. Yeah, they you know, turn just, themselves into a business. Yeah. Just to represent that lifestyle that, you know, we all have. And, um, you know, I hear a lot now about people talking, you know, that everybody looks happy on Instagram. You know, you go on Instagram yeah. or social, or Facebook yeah. and, you know, everybody's happy. And that the people that aren't happy, it makes them sad. And I'm like, is it is it that basic? I mean, do we, I mean, I look at Instagram and I people look happy. I, you know, mm-hmm. I follow all the um, triathletes. <laughs> well, it's like those, it's, you know, it's anytime it's you're comparing your insides to somebody else's outsides, you know, I, it's like what they show you. It's just like uh, when people have a lot of material uh, possessions and then you find out that they're bankrupt and they're in all this credit card debt. You know, it's the whole thing is a put-up job. It's a performance. Well, and that's a lot how these know? businesses, are, uh, big businesses are these, you know, Bertoli, what was the chef? Um, oh, yeah. You remember when he, I mean, he was the head of a lot of restaurants, all these restaurants, and then they he was accused of doing something inappropriate with somebody a few times, and his name came off the restaurant and he had nothing. Yeah. You know, it was just a face. Right. He, you know, he was valuable as long as he was okay, but if something went wrong, he was not valuable. Yeah. And that's sad. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's, it's what well, there's a lot of superficialities in the culture, and there's a lot of ways in which that online culture, I think, separates us from one another in strange ways. Like we don't have, like, you know, when you and I run together, it's you and me face-to-face, and that's genuine friendship, you know? But and, we take uh, a picture together and put it on Instagram. Hey! Yeah, yeah we do. That's true. That's true. Um, but I don't, you know, I mean, I don't do a whole lot more than that. I post my runs mostly for you to see. When, right. I, when I'm not running with you, I'm like, hey, I'm, I am out there running. You well, know we get I mean? our 34 likes, and, you know, I feel good exactly about that. Exactly right. Exactly right. But, you know, it's, um, I've heard a presenter recently who uh, um, was talking about that that phenomenon of uh, thousands of followers but no friends. So there's, you know, there's a lot of people who are, um, you know, on social media and they've got all these followers, but they have no sense of friendship and no sense of intimacy and they feel deeply lonely. And well, I think that's we were, part of what can happen in those situations, you know. We met a guy at the resort um, and he was taking pictures of himself and I, and I was like, you know, what's going on? What are you doing? You know, <laughs> and he goes, I'm a fashion um I do. I I work in the fashion industry, uh-huh. and I was like, oh, like, well, what's your, in, what do you, off, you know, what's your name? And I, you know, so I followed him on Instagram, mm-hmm. and now I see him, and he's still in Mexico taking pictures of himself, but he was by himself. He didn't have anybody with him, and I was like, mm-hmm. but if I looked at the picture, I'd be like, this guy looks, you know, somebody like he's I got can it be going jealous on. of. Right? That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then I think about, you know, it's it's pretty lonely, and but I always say, you know, we there, it's why we die because we just can't take it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I tell my dad that all the time. That's why you're going to die. I'm, I'm done. I can't take it anymore. <laughs> I can't take it anymore. I'm done. Well, I think we lose the ability to, you know, have an open mind about everything, you know? Yeah. People well, if we had an open mind, we still wouldn't live forever. So, no. you know. Right, but we might not be as miserable. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't, you know. Well, you know. You miserable? My father is. Oh, okay. Well. He's, 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 you know, he's, he, he's just grumpy. And I, yeah. I, I, What's he I, watching, Fox News or something? Probably. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't that'll, know. That'll do it to you. You know, I don't know what it is. I every day I think about. I don't want to be that way. Yeah. Cynical is that the the word? He's yeah. just he's he's seen it all, and he knows everything. 
So any you know he's lost the ability to to fantasize or to dream or to you know have wonderment. Yeah, feel yeah. he's like I know that's not true. Yeah. I know it's really going on or when I was younger and it's like <laughs> and um but like our, you know, people say, "Oh, these kids, these, this generation, they're gonna really, they're not gonna, uh, you know, turn in, turn out to be anything because of all these electronic devices and yada yada yada." Um, these kids are doing fine. No, you people know, used to say that about TV when I was growing up. You know, well, and I had a client who I said, "What was your iPad?" And she's, you know, she's in her seventies, and she said, "Our iPad was the transistor radio." Yeah. And we all had the one the radio with the one earpiece in your right. ear, and all the old folks would be like, "You aren't gonna, you Take know, that turn out thing to be out any- of your ear and be here with the family and right. all that kind of stuff." And yeah, yeah, and so and there's always something. And before that, it was novels. You know, like books were the thing. Like, take your nose out of that book and, you know. Well, you imagine the guy that was the, the professor of cave writing. He was like, that paper <laughs> is from <laughs> the devil. <laughs> Get that, burn <laughs> the paper. That wheel, bad idea. A bad wheel. <laughs> Sliced bread, bad. I chew off end. <laughs> so when are you, when are you leaving? When are you uh, leaving me? Um, by, well, at some, some when does my running break start? Oh, when does your running break start? Oh, well, you know, we'll, we'll run by Instagram, but, uh, <laughs> hey. The, um, hey, <laughs> ran this morning, missed you. <laughs> um, uh, beginning of May, I'm, my rehearsal starts May 3rd. So I've, I'm, I've got to record a couple of lectures cause I have to, my, my semester overlaps and I've had a little anxiety about that, but I just found out that there, the university has a whole system for doing that. And I'm going to go up and experience that for the first time and record two lectures on, on the new Testament, on the gospel of Matthew and the book of revelations. Wow. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'll have uh, zoom meetings with my students, um, from, from down in Florida. So yeah, I start rehearsal the third and the play opens May 29th and runs through June 30th at American stage in St. Petersburg, Florida. That would be, uh, I'm surprised you can't do like a live cast. Uh, well, there's, I mean, some places do, but there's, um, you know, you have unions, uh, acting unions, and so there's contractual things. No, I mean are, a live cast for teaching. Oh, like, for teaching. Yeah. Well, I could, but it, then it's a matter of rehearsal timing. And this way, if I record an hour and a half lecture, I can post it to um, a, a site where they can watch it. And then I have an hour, 45 minute or an hour session where they get to ask questions. And that will be a live cast. That would be cool. That's cool. Yeah. I think it will be cool, and I might find out that I really like it. I mean, you have anxiety about that. I have anxiety about recording it, posting it, making sure they'll all get to see it. Whether or not the technology will work out well, I have to conference with them individually from a distance, and I just—it's just the anxiety of not having done it. You know what I mean? Yeah, you know, first it's first time anxiety. iPhones now are allowing people to do group chat. Group, yeah, um, FaceTime. Well, this uh, meeting app that we have is called Zoom at the university, and not only can you do a, a meeting with a whole bunch of people, but you have breakout rooms inside of the app, so that's cool. People can break out into into smaller groups. Yeah, it's amazing what they can do now. We can just sit in our in our living room in our underwear and <laughs> just <laughs> yeah, as long as you turn the video orchestrate off. like da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah. you over there. Yeah. Well, the, actually, on the on the Zoom. Uh, feature there is there's actually a feature where you can cosmetically enhance your image 
oh. where it'll, I like sort of, I, I guess, um, put hair know. on your head. <laughs> well, I don't Whoa. think it'll go that far, but it'll, it'll, I, I, apparently it sort of gives you a softer focus. I wow. don't know. That'd be, you well, look a little, you look a little sexier. Does it put some big deer br- eyes on you? <laughs> I don't think deer it, eyebrows. The deer eyebrows. <laughs> and their ears. Yeah, like the deer we saw this morning. Oh, uh, that yeah. was a cat. Oh, no. No, we saw deer. We saw a dead cat, too. We saw a dead cat. Yes, which was pretty hideous. It was a little bloated and looked pretty bad. And I think his intestines were hanging out. uh, But the four deer, the white tails we saw, looked looked quite good. Although they had a strong odor that they left in the field. Well, that's weird because... um, And do you ever notice this when you run, how you become super hypersensitive to, like, all the smells? Like, and it's, you know, I'll be running and then if I... If like sometimes I'll run and there'll be a, a girl or somebody or a guy even up ahead of me, and as I slowly, if I'm catching him, God, God willing, that I'm catching him, <laughs> but I can start smelling cologne or oh, I start yeah. smelling or like I'll pass people and I'll, oh we've had that happen when we yeah. passed uh, some women walking on the trail and we're like wow that you know perfume perfume was really yeah, seemed and, really strong and I've run up on deer and I can smell them and people have yeah. said you know you. Whether Bigfoot or, or you know is a real thing, but people it's not, say that not they a real thing. they smell they've smelled Bigfoot before not, they not see a, not a real thing. <laughs> Zip it. Zip it. That's my that's my opinion. Not a real thing. I don't Sasquatch. Think a, I don't think not a real thing. thing. I was watching fantasy. Well, you know, there was a lot of creatures in this planet before us, and true, there was a. I There's was, also a lot of photographs of a lot of creatures, and well, there was nothing a thing, convincing <clears throat> about Bigfoot there was, for me. There was a bear. Mm-hmm. Back in whenever, but you know, at, at some point there was an ice bridge that connected, you know, right and Russia and yeah, Alaska, and, and then people would try to come into North America, mm-hmm. and back then there was, a, I think it was called the short snout bear, mm-hmm. and it was about twelve feet tall, and it apparently was vicious, mm-hmm. and it would eat anything that came across there, and until that bear went extinct. Then we were. Then it allowed humans to to venture down into here. But apparently, that bear stopped yeah. the evolution of people coming down here for a Probably long time. Probably went extinct when people stopped coming across the bridge because they heard about it. You know, it's like there was nothing to eat then. Like I know there's a bad bear. Oh my God! There he is! Run! <laughs> <laughs> go back! Go back! Go Maybe back! He was mad back. because they called him Short Snout. Yeah, he was Short Snout. Short Snout. I'm always I'm fascinated gonna eat everybody. by. You know, I'm fascinated by you know just the evolution of this. Oh my uh, goodness! The world. That, uh, yeah. Did you watch that one strange rock? I was just going to say that we're on the third episode because I watch it with Anne and she hardly ever watches TV. So It's interesting. Now, oh, it's fantastic. The perspective of those astronauts who've been sort of in a different place regarding, you know, relative to the planet. But then all I've learned so much from it already about Well, and the one lady the was talking about how, how unnerving it is to be up there and watch oh. all of the activity that goes on above, you know, our yeah. shield. You know, all the things that are burning up into the atmosphere right. that... that um, and what did she say? That it's not. There's nothing like having a a piece of sand hit the space station at seventeen thousand miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, makes you aware of. I had a guy on the podcast uh, not too long ago, and he 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 believes in the, that the Earth is flat. Crazy. Well, I'm, I go well. I just saw a show about the space station, <laughs> and they photog- were looking right at the Earth. There's photographic <laughs> evidence goes, to the contrary. I go. I saw the space station. Did you? <laughs> Did you? I go, I thought I did. That's like the faked moon landing, right? Yeah. I go, I got an app. It shows me where the space station is right now. It's either yeah. below us or up, but I, you know. Well, there's also a lot of, uh, a lot of science that, you know, supports the idea that the, the, yeah. that we're on a sphere. I believe, I'm not a flat earther. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a round earther. Yeah, yeah, I know. 
I know. Well, and someone said, all you got to do is, I mean, when we were flying, you just look out in the, in the you know, the... <laughs> it's curved. It dips away, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. or you just keep seeing everything. Yeah. But they have an answer for that, too. I don't know if you've ever seen a flat earth model of the earth, but it's... it's no, domed. I wouldn't waste my time. It's domed yeah, yeah. and then dives down, and oh, then yeah. so the water doesn't pour out. Oh, yeah. That's crazy time. Yeah. <laughs> it's Looney Tunes. Well, listen. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. It took a while to finally get you on the podcast. Moving the shoulders around. Loosening up. He's loosening up the shoulders. When we were in Mexico, I got this most amazing massage. And Stop it. I'm already jealous of you. I'm I'm sore. Yeah. You're sore from your massage. Yeah, Did you got a lot of sympathy. She, had an coming, elbow, she put an elbow on me. A lot of sympathy coming for you from my my direction. If, uh, I don't know how long how often she you get massages. Put a, she put an elbow on me, but I don't get massages very often. Yeah, yeah. And she drove, drove it in there. Did she, she? Drove, she put. I'm like, oh. Uh, oh, oh. She goes, pressure too hot. I go, no, no, <laughs> no, no. Just crying. Just hard enough. Are tears too big? <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I appreciate right, you coming on the podcast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Hopefully you'll revisit and you'll come and, and tell us how your play went. And, yeah, happy um, to. Keep us in the loop. In the loop. Hopefully there'll, hopefully there'll be a loop for you to be kept in. And, you know, real quick, I'm excited. You also have a son that's in the acting. Yes. And, and uh, I don't think I'm supposed to talk about that, though. Oh, you can't mention yeah, it? Yeah, I don't think I can mention it. Oh he's, he's up for a potential role in the TV thing that may or may not happen so i don't want to i don't want to jinx him by mentioning it well, but i'll let you know if it happens i appreciate you thinking that there's actually people listening to this podcast yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know uh i'm excited to hear about that because that's, all that, that'll be fun to talk you'll about you'll all hear about it later if he ever gets on there or if he does ever it does happen maybe we can get him on the podcast yep i imagine you could jimmy all right I tommy love you. love you back brother all right brother be all safe right. yep thank we'll you do man. you too bye, bye.